0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, truly, we thank you for another day, a wonderful day that you have made. And Lord, um, help us, Lord, to be able to rejoice and be glad in it. Whatever the day may present to us, Lord Jesus, we want to be in a place where we can say, praise the Lord, Jesus reigns. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that as we consider some of the things in your word today, Lord, that you would break yokes, that you would challenge, Lord, that you would comfort, that Lord Jesus, you would breathe life into our situations, Lord, so that we don't leave this place the same way we came in. So that, Lord Jesus, we know that we have gathered with your people and that we have met with you. And so, Lord Jesus, have your way. I pray, Lord, that if there's any thoughts which are clouding people's minds right now, Lord, that you just take authority over those thoughts. That we would do our part, Lord, in taking every thought captive and bringing it under the subjection of Christ Jesus. So, Lord Jesus, have your way. Speak to us, Lord. Reveal yourself to us today, Lord, in a new and living way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, this is a good day, as I said, because it's the day the Lord has made. But this is the first time I'm actually teaching from this pulpit, which is quite an interesting um, thing. We've been here a little while now. And if you've been around for a couple of weeks, you know that we are going through the book of Timothy But today, we will be taking a break from the book of Timothy, and what I would like to do is I'd like to consider some verses in the Gospel of Matthew, first in chapter 16, which I hope will give us the backdrop and the context of some of the things which we'll be considering today, and then into Matthew 17, which... Again, we're going to be doing slightly different because we're not going to necessarily be going through the text specifically line by line. But I hope to look at Matthew chapter 17, the first nine verses. And I want to look at it in three movements. Okay? And as we look at these three movements, my intention, my hope is that we as individuals, we would, you know, look at. Our lives, we would examine our walk with the Lord, we would examine our relationship with the Lord, you know, just to see, you know, where are we with the Lord? Where are we? Are we going through the motions or are we actually covering some ground with the Lord? And so, if you're taking notes today, um, the three movements will be the first movement will be climbing. With the Lord, the second movement will be jamming with Jesus, and the third movement will be descending for His glory. Amen. So, you can go to chapter sixteen if you like, but I'm not as as I said, I'm not going to necessarily camp there and start going through the verses. But the scene is this: we're in chapter sixteen, and it's roughly six months before the crucifixion. Jesus is with his disciples, and is in a place called Caesarea Philippi, and Caesarea Philippi is about 120 miles away from Jerusalem, and this particular area was well known for pagan worship. It was well known for idolatry. And so what Jesus has been doing up until this point is that he's been sending his disciples out two by two, they've been going from village to village, they've been going from town to town, and they've been sharing the gospel. And at this point, they've been fairly successful. You know, people are receiving the message. And so we get to this situation now, this scene where the Lord regroups his disciples, he gathers them back together. And as he gathers them back together, he asks them this, you know, famous question, which most of us, you know, know, and we kind of like are astounded when we hear it. He says to them, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And that's a powerful question. And it's a question which everyone in this room one day will have to give an account for. Who do you say Jesus is? Is Jesus a good teacher? Well, if you think he's a good teacher, you will receive a teacher's reward. If you think he's just he was a good prophet, a good man, you receive a prophet's reward. But as the discussion went on, you know, the response was, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say that you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Until we get to this point where Peter now, he pipes up. And Peter says, Okay. (laughs) Peter says, You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. See, if you receive Jesus as Christ, as Lord, as Savior, well, that's a completely different reward you will be receiving. And so it's an important question. And if it's a question which you're here today and you've never really answered, the challenge is there. Who do you say that Jesus is? Is he your Christ? Is he your savior? Is he your Lord? Because he needs to be. But anyway, let's move on. Because when Peter says that, Jesus responds to him and he says to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You see, the revelation of Jesus in your life isn't because somebody has sort of like been clever and shared it with you. It's a revelation which comes from the Father used by people sharing with you. So you can't manipulate someone into the kingdom. It's a revelation which comes by the Father, and now you have a choice. Will I accept it, or will I reject it? And so he says, you know, this is not, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, and I say to you that you are, Peter and then I'm not going to get into this totally but it's interesting because he says you're Peter and the Greek word is Petros or Petros however you want to pronounce it and on this rock Petra you're Petros small little pebble but on this Petra big massive rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades, or hell, shall not prevail against it. You see, it's interesting because Jesus says, I will build my church. He didn't say I was going to build my kingdom. And it's very important. Because these guys are kingdom-minded. Please hold on to that. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That sounds good. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, or whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then, verse 20, he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Anointed One. Verse 21 From that time, from what time? Again, very important. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. He's 120 miles away, yeah? He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. So I've just shared that with you. It sounds pretty clear, yeah? I need some feedback. Yeah? Sounds pretty clear. And as I said, there's so many things within this portion of text that we could dissect and we can unpack, but I need to move on. The thing I really want to focus on is that Jesus was totally focused on his purpose, on his mission. He wanted to bring his disciples to this place where do you understand the mission? Do you understand my purpose? I'm, I'm revealing it to you. Do you understand it? Because he says, from that time on, he began to share his specific purpose with them. But the thing is, is that the disciples, even though he, he spoke those words, the disciples were consumed about thinking naturally. They were consumed about thinking about a natural kingdom. Jesus is come. He's heavy. We're going to overthrow the Romans. We're going to get Israel back and we're going to rule and we're going to reign. And we're going to be at the right hand with Jesus because Jesus is the man. They were thinking selfishly about their own positions, their own ranking, their own power. Some even got their mothers to go and talk to Jesus. Oh, Jesus. In your kingdom, would you let one of my sons sit at your right right hand and some at your left hand? I think that was opposite for you guys, yeah? Yeah. See, they're thinking naturally. They basically heard verse 19, but they didn't hear verse 21. They heard all this stuff about, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. What well, if you're going to bind, we'll be bound. They heard that stuff. But they didn't hear the stuff about, we're going to Jerusalem. There I'm going to suffer. The elders are going to kill me. But hear what? On the third day, I'm going to rise again. They didn't hear that. They didn't realize that Jesus had called them to something different and something far, far greater. They didn't realize that before all this glory, there had to be a, a, you know, before there was a crown, there had to be a cross. They didn't realize that before there was glorification, there has to be a process of sanctification. And how many of us know that sanctification often hurts? Sanctification often brings us to those places where we're uncomfortable. We don't like it. And so... Oftentimes, just like these disciples, because we read it, we think, those disciples, they always missed it. But we fall into the same trap. Because Jesus comes into our world, he invades our world, and we say, praise the Lord, hallelujah, Jesus is Lord. And he says, come, we're going to Jerusalem. We're going to do this. And we say, "Well, no, Lord, because I've got my ideas of doing this, and I want to do that. Okay, Lord, we'll come with you, but can we do it our way? My way? That's what we do. Don't we do that as believers? Am I with the right crowd? You see, we say to Jesus, you know, Lord, I've got my own ideas. I've got my own agenda of how I want to get to that place where I know I should be, and I know you want to take me, but it hurts to get there that way you want to bring me. I don't like it. And so, Jesus, in this scenario, if you can hear it, says to his disciples, We're going on a journey. And he's saying to us, We're going on a journey. And the way I want to look at this journey in our lives today is, as I said at the beginning, in these three movements, climbing up a mountain being on the mountaintop and descending from a mountain. Sometimes we picture our Christian life as just going into the storm, being in the storm, or just coming out of the storm. It's usually like that. So I'm just kind of like putting a little tinge on it really today. It's the same thing. And hopefully as we look at some of the things in chapter 17, you know, it would help us to see these things. That is my intention, that is my hope. So I hope we get there. Okay, if you've got your Bibles, please open them to Matthew chapter 17. We'll read the first nine verses. Amen? And when you are there, please say amen. Amen. Right. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, arise and do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now, as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. Amen? Amen. Amen. Our first movement, which I said, I've kind of labelled it, entitled it, Climbing with the Lord. It says in verse 1, now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Now, he could have just said mountain. Mountain would have been good. But it's a high mountain because Jesus wants to elevate us in that sense. He wants to lift us up. He doesn't want us just to stay where we are. He wants to raise us up with him. And as I said, our Christian walk is a a journey. And just as we see how Jesus specifically chose Peter, James, and John and led them up this high mountain to have this intimate moment with them, the Lord specifically chooses you and I to journey with him. He specifically chooses you and I so that he can take us on this journey because Jesus wants to have intimate moments with us. Jesus wants to reveal himself to us in a way which we've never seen before. And the ultimate purpose of this journey is to make us more like him as jesus desires to take us from one aspect of glory to another aspect of glory to another aspect of glory and so on and so on and so on from glory to glory to glory second corinthians chapter 3 verse 18 says but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So if you are a believer here today, the Spirit of God is taking you through a process. Or should I rephrase that? His desire is to take you through a process of bringing you from one aspect of glory to another aspect of glory to another aspect of glory so that eventually you look like Jesus. But as I said before, and as we can all testify, going through this process is hard work. Going through this process is difficult. It's difficult just like, if any of you have done it before, it's difficult just like climbing a mountain. You see, mountains are often steep. Mountains often have rough terrain. Mountains are often rugged. And you see, as we journey with the Lord... One of the fundamental things which he wants to teach us is that he is more interested in developing our character than he is in catering for our comfort. Did you hear that, family? He's more interested in developing character than he is for catering for our comfort. But we're a people, we love comfort. We're in London. We want everything right now. If you go into McDonald's or something, you don't want to wait five minutes because you want your burger now. You pick up the phone and you got to phone someone in customer services and everything, speak to me now. We have no patience. We're, we're queuing up to pay for our shopping and it's like, why don't they serve me now? Why is this queue so long? Burger King Christians. But the the way to be like Jesus is not one of these now fixes. It takes time. It's a process. There's rough terrain. There's steep terrain. And generally, are you ready for this? Generally, the terrain presents itself as people rubbing you up the wrong way. People offending you. People, oh, they just don't understand me. People making demands on you, and you're saying, why does this person always make demands on me? Why do they take me for granted? It's the rough terrain of life itself and circumstances that don't always go our way. Whether it may be health issues, whether it may be The lack of employment, whether it may be the need for accommodation, circumstances, life feels like it's a weight on top of us and we can't cope. Maybe it's relationships and it doesn't stop there because once we feel like we've dealt with, okay, we can kind of like dealt with people rubbing us up the wrong way and we can deal with, okay, I've got a job and I've got accommodation, everything's good, then we're faced with ourselves. You look in the mirror and you realize I'm not really a nice person. People rub me up the wrong way but I rub people up the wrong way. When I have an opportunity to put on Christ I I act like the devil. And the Lord doesn't want us to be like that. You see climbing the mountain Jesus wants to make us more like him. He wants to lift us out of our circumstance. And the fact is that these things present themselves and we think, oh, it's a weight. But really, the freedom is surrendering. That's where the freedom comes. The freedom is, comes in being like Christ. You know, we're going through these situations and we feel like, as I climb this mountain this mountain is going to crush me. That's how we feel. But we have to look beyond that and know that eventually as we surrender to his will and we get to the mountaintop and see the view, we realize, yo, that journey was worthwhile. Now, I don't know if many of you have that mountain climbing, I don't know if you've ever reached to, if, not even a mountain, you've ever gone to a high building and you look and you see the view and you're like, whoa, it's breathtaking. If you go on the London Eye, I mean, I'll go to the top, I'm shocked, I'm scared, it's high. But you see the view and once you get to the top and you see the view, the whole process of where you are going up there and I'm, I'm trembling, you think, wow, that view is heavy. It's, it's made it all worthwhile. And it's the same thing. Jesus is saying, Come with me. Let's go up the mountaintop. Because when you get there, it's going to be worthwhile. And when you get there, you're going to be that little bit more like me. And so, you know, we ask the question well, I ask the question how are we climbing with the Lord? You know, are we sticking with him? And as he journeys up this mountain, that we're like, Lord, I'm with you. We're rolling together. If I asked you a question, are you the same person you were three months ago? Six months ago? A year ago? you the same person? If you're the same person, well, maybe the Lord isn't doing much in your life. If you kind of like got an attitude to say, well, this is me, is it? well, no, it shouldn't really be you. It should be Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, we're on this journey where we should always be changing, moving, you know, developing ourselves into his image, his likeness, his character so that we are giving, us, giving off Christ's life to people around us. That's what should be happening. You see, Jesus wants to take us through these rough terrains going up the mountain so that he can have, as I said before, this intimate moment with us. And so maybe look at it this way. If you're that person here today and you have a person who rubs you up the wrong way, think of it this way. Maybe the Lord has placed that person right in your life. Because he wants to show you something about yourself He wants to bring you to a different place That you would just say Do you know what, they rubbed me up the wrong way But let me put on Christ Let me love on that person Let me, let me not repay evil for evil Maybe they're, they're, they're exactly what you need To bring about change in your life But you don't have to change You can stay exactly where you are But if you do that, maybe no intimate mountaintop experience Maybe that's cool for you in your Christian walk I don't know You see, Jesus wants to take us to that mountaintop And he wants something to change He wants something to change And so, let's move on they reached a the mountaintop and verse 2 says, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. That's heavy. I mean, Luke says his robes became white and glistening. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer or, or earth, earthen person could whiten them. White, radiant, glorious, like the sun. We get this picture of, you know, super radiance. And oftentimes we read this verse. Let me see if someone's going to admit to this. Oftentimes we read this verse and we just move on to the next verse. We don't really give much thought to what? Something happened there. Jesus transfigured. He transformed. He did something he had never done before and was not going to do again. He transfigured. He changed. Changed his form. The Greek word is metamorphoo, which, as you probably figure it out, is obvious that we get our English word metamorphosis. Okay, and when I say metamorphosis, you probably think of that lovely little caterpillar which cocoons itself and then becomes as a beautiful butterfly. <laughs> Changes. Jesus changed. You know, the word means that it's a physical change or form or a change of appearance and character. Jesus changed. On the outside, but it was a result of what was on the inside. You know, we sung the song today, you know, consume me from the inside out. What are we really singing about? We're singing like, Lord, change me from the inside out. You know, most people today, when they want to have a change, you know, they change their hair, put a bit of makeup or they buy a new outfit and everything. It's all cosmetic. It's all superficial. It's all external. What about changing your heart? And your attitude towards life, your attitude towards people, your attitude towards God. Jesus radiated glory. Now, I'm not saying that we must radiate glory. What I'm saying is the Lord wants a change in our lives. He wants that. He expects that. He demands it, but he's not going to force us. And so when we read this, you know, don't read don't look at it like Jesus was kind of like there and then these lights just came out and he started kind of like re- reflecting glory. No, this is from the inside out. You know, Jesus basically gave us like a sneak preview of his glory, he unveiled himself, he revealed his divinity. And he he allowed his glory to shine forth just a little bit. You see? And so, Peter, James, and John. You see, the Jesus they knew, the Jesus they had been rolling with for like three years, he was not the same Jesus. He's different. But he is the same Jesus because they still recognize him as Jesus. But he's not the same Jesus. He's different. Wow. Wow. You know, the whole experience which these three men had the opportunity to to see. You see, there, there was nine other disciples who didn't get this experience, but they did. It's a wonderful testimony of Christ being God. That he could reflect his glory He can unveil his glory You see, in the Old Testament As we go through the Old Testament you know, Many times when God wanted to reveal His invisible essence We often read in the Old Testament That it would be by fire Or it would be by bright light that, you know, And we call it the Shekinah glory We see it in the book of Exodus. We see it in the book of Kings. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 says, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In Revelation... Chapter 1, verse 14, you know, we have this description of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says that his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun, Shining in its strength. Now, we live in England. Not so sure if we really know and appreciate the sun shining in its strength. But that's powerful. That's heavy. That's radiant. You know, this is the Jesus we're talking about here. The king of glory. Because he radiates glory. And so we have this situation here, verse 2, where Jesus takes these three men up on this journey, up this mountain, and he transforms himself before them. And the question is, for what purpose? You know, oftentimes this verse, it used to bug me. It's still kind of like, because I'm thinking, why? What's the deeper, is there a deeper meaning here? What is the deeper meaning? I mean, I kind of like ask those questions when I look through the text. Why? And it bugs me if I kind of like don't really get a handle on it. And so trying to give what I've kind of like concluded so far, not by myself, but with help of other commentators, is as I mentioned before, The Lord Jesus is on a mission and he has his purpose. He mentioned that in Caesarea Philippi, that you must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. But as I said before, again, the disciples weren't getting it. They were clouded by their own desires. They were clouded by their own interests. So they didn't get it. And so to literally show them that this was not a natural kingdom which he had come to establish. To show them that, again, guys, this is something bigger than what you can really comprehend right now. But I'm going to give you something to hold you. I'm going to give you something which will strengthen you, not necessarily now, but in the future. I'm going to show you something now, which is going to hold you, not necessarily now, but in the future. And so Jesus revealed himself to them, revealed himself to them in an unusual way. And I say that and I repeated it because maybe Jesus has done something in your life which encouraged you and strengthened you whenever it happened. But there was a greater purpose for him doing it in your life. It's because at some point in the future, he wants, you, he wants it to hold you. At those times when you feel like, do you know what? I've had enough of this Christian thing. It's long. It's boring. We go to church. We sing two songs. Kind of like I kind of like say to people, oh, how are you doing? And they don't really ask me really how am I. They don't really interested in me. People don't really care. I'd rather just go raving again. You see, Jesus wants in those moments when you feel like you're going to jack it in, he he, he wants you to hold on to him. Like that woman who had the issue of blood and she was like, oh my goodness. If only I can touch the hem of his garments and not let go. See, that's where Jesus wants us. He wants us in that not letting go ministry. You see, they didn't get it at that moment, but when the revelation dropped, when they actually realized exactly what this meant, you see, it was an experience which they could not forget about. Um, Peter, for example, in his two epistles, he mentions this occasion 14 times in his two little letters. Letters. Even stating in 2 Peter 1:16, he says, For we did not follow cunning, device, fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Eyewitnesses of his glory. You see, when somebody says to you, Can you believe in the Bible? I say, I can believe in the Bible, you know why? Eyewitness accounts. They were there. If you go to court today and somebody's committed a crime, you know, they're not going to listen to so so sussel. Hearsay. Who was there? I was there. What did you see? I saw that. Who else was there? What did you see? Right. Eyewitness accounts. Powerful. Peter is saying, I was on the mountain I was an eyewitness I saw it he glowed he was radiant and you know what I'm never going to be the same we even see how the apostle John when he writes in 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 John 1.14 and he says and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory when John when did you behold his glory? On the mountaintop, the glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Powerful stuff. Holding on to the words of these eyewitnesses. You see, the the experience had this future element. At the time, they couldn't see it because they were just consumed with their own thing. I want to live my life how I want to live it. But there's more to life than living it how you want to live it. So it had this future aspect of strengthening and providing assurity to disciples after the Lord's death, resurrection, and ascension. But not only this, there is another interesting facet behind what I believe is being described here. Relating to the Lord's humanity and his divinity. You see, it's my personal conviction. At this point, I believe that Jesus, being fully God and fully man, had reached a point of human perfection. I believe that Jesus could have said at that point, okay, boys, I've had enough. The clouds come, I'm off. And who could have said anything to him? Who could have said, No, Jesus, you can't go anywhere? No, Jesus, you have to stay here. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. And he doesn't say that because of his love for you and his love for me. He doesn't say that because he knows his purpose. And he reaffirms his purpose and his reason for coming to the earth. He reaffirms his position among the heavenly councils. We're going to go and see in the next verse. Of being the substitutionary sacrifice for all humanity. And going the way of the cross. You see, it's my conviction because... the Lord's perfection through suffering was not for himself. It was for us. You see, we're the ones who are marred by sin. We are the ones who have transgressed. We are the ones who needed help. And so this is why Jesus, even at this point, could confidently say, he says, I have come into the world and the ruler of this world has nothing in me. He can step to the, the scribes and the Pharisees and he could say, Which one of you convicts me of sin? No one could do it. You see, this is why the writer of, the, of Hebrews could say that, you know, we have a high priest who, can, cannot, sympathize with our, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but in all points tempted. As we are, yet without sin. You see, Jesus was on that mountaintop. He did not. He didn't have to descend. But in descending, he makes the choice, the decision. I'm still going to the cross. And it says in verse three, and behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to him, talking with him. What were they talking about? They were talking about his death. They were talking about him going to Jerusalem to die you see when i when i look at things like that it it fascinates me more about jesus personally it makes me think lord wow the sacrifices you made the road you traveled not for yourself but for us It's deep. You see, Moses and Elijah were there. We have Moses representing the law and Elijah representing the prophets. And what we actually have here is is this principle of them fulfilling Deuteronomy chapter 19 verse 15 where it says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses let every word be established. So we have this scenario here where we have We have multiple witnesses, really, because we have three earthly witnesses and we have three heavenly witnesses, all testifying to the fact that Jesus is the man and Jesus is going to the cross. And Jesus is going to the cross, not because he has to, because he wants to. You see, it's a beautiful canvas. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus ascending to the mountaintop sharing his life with us, having these intimate moments with us. While he's there, he has this option in so many ways of returning to heaven, but no, he sticks to the plan and he descends, and why does he descend? He he descends to share in our death, to taste death so that we could have life. You see, it's a beautiful moment in the life of Jesus. It's a fantastic experience which we have penned down here. It's a wonder. And you see, in in different ways, the Lord wants us to have those moments with him where he just reveals himself to us in such an intimate way. Giving us these experiences that assures us and keeps us through difficult times and so leaving you guys just to meditate on that a bit more in your own time let's move on to the next next thing which is jamming with Jesus jamming with Jesus verse 4 then Peter answered and said to Jesus Lord it is good for us to be here if you wish let us make here three tabernacles one for you One for Moses and one for Elijah. You see, Peter again just shows us that he has this foot and mouth disease. Always piping up and just blurting out. But as we look at it a bit deeper now, we see that Peter was really only echoing what all of us are guilty of through our actions. We're guilty of through our actions when we have those mountaintop experiences because this is the danger. We decide to camp there. We have this wonderful experience with the Lord, and somewhere along the line, mentally or emotionally, we feel, we feel like it should always be like this. Why isn't it always like that? Why, isn't it, why can't I always just feel Jesus? Why isn't it always that when I pray, the Lord answers my prayers straight away? I want this mountaintop experience. And so we, we, we look at it and we think, well, if, if it's not like that, something must be wrong. But the problem isn't with the Lord. The problem is with us. Because Jesus, Peter, sorry I say, in so many ways, he wanted comfort. In so many ways, he wanted everything to be happy, 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 happy. Jesus, let's just have this experience where, wow, Elijah and Moses and you're here. It's wonderful. And life isn't like that. Life isn't always wonderful. We can't always have mountaintop experiences. You know... We have to move on. You see, maybe we don't have the attitude of, why can't things always be like how it was when I first got saved? But sometimes as believers, maybe we've been walking with the Lord, you know, a good few years, maybe five years, three years, five years, ten years, and you just reach this plateau within your life. It's a bit like, I compare it to playing the guitar. Playing the guitar, you can kind of like pick up the guitar kind of like easy and quickly and learn a few chords. But then you plateau quite quickly. And then to now develop new chords and start really exercising and getting better and developing more, well, that takes a lot more effort. And you can get to the place and saying, well, I know, I know about five or six chords and I can basically play all the songs that we play in church. So why, why, why learn any more? We plateau. Is that a good example? We plateau. Within. So we kind of like have this attitude say, well, you know, life is all right. You know, sometimes I hit a prayer meeting. Sometimes, you know, most mornings I do a little devotional. I may pick up the phone to a friend every so often and encourage them. And, you know, I I'll go to church, some, well, mostly, and I kind of help out sometimes. You kind of have this kind of attitude where you just do your little bit to get by. Amen. Can I get a witness out here? Oh, wrong crowd again. Are you with me? Right. I mean, am I the only one who kind of like thinks like this? Right. Okay. I need some. Mm -hmm. We get like that. We get lazy. We get idle. We get lethargic. You know, to make the extra effort to go out and have fellowship or to go to a prayer meeting or to pick up your Bible, it's like, oh, it's long. I'll do it in a minute. Something else is on. I can do something else. We plateau. And then we wonder why the world is going to pot. We wonder why our kids don't want to pick up their Bibles and come to church. You see, if we don't do it, no one's going to do it. I don't mean we physically in this building, I mean we as believers. We have a mandate. And so, you know, we, we kind of like, yeah, work's cool. I do a little bit of um, exercise, a little bit of socializing, and we just don't, we don't make the extra effort. We need to make the extra effort. And you see, Peter was kind of like, in a roundabout way, in that zone. And what happened to Peter should happen to all of us when we get into that zone, which is verse 5. And verse 5 introduces, you know, the third witness of this heavenly council, God the Father. And you know when God the Father turns up, he's not petting. He's not playing. And God the Father, you know, Peter's speaking. You've got to kind of like get the scene. Speakers, Pe- Peter's speaking and saying, oh, why don't we do this and why don't we do that? God the Father just kind of like interrupts. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. In other words, Peter, shut up. Stop the long talk, Peter. You see? And when, verse 6, and when the disciples heard it, They fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. You should be afraid. That's got the father we're talking about here. Roaring. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. And I'm sure all of us would have done the same thing. We would have fell on our faces and we'd have been greatly afraid if we were there too. But verse 7, you see, again... Jesus, Jesus is just heavy. Jesus came and touched them. Who would want to touch a Jesus right now? Jesus came and touched them and said, arise and do not be afraid. You see, that's beautiful. That's comforting. Jesus wants to just touch and say, look, don't worry about it. I've got you. You know, the Lord Jesus you see, he's full of comfort. He's full of compassion. He's full of care and attention. He doesn't want, he doesn't want the, his three friends to be afraid on the floor, consumed with terror. He reassures them. And when, verse 8, and when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. You see, the father declared this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased hear him jesus was the only one they saw and jesus was the only one they needed to see because jesus is the only one we we need to put our trust in and our confidence in obviously we take confidence in the law we take confidence in the prophets <laughs> but Jesus is far above the law and the prophets because he is the fulfillment of the law and he is the ultimate prophet so we see Jesus and he's the one they need to listen to so this whole idea of jamming with Jesus it's not camping with Jesus It's not stay in that place where you just want to have this remote emotional experience or or stay at this mental position with Jesus. This is how it used to be. You can't live in what used to be. Again, it goes from glory to glory to glory. He's moving forward. And so we come to this third movement. And and that's exactly what it is. It's moving with Jesus. He's gone up the mountain. You've had experience on the mountain. Now he's going down the mountain. He's descending. Verse 9, as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. Now my main point here is what I've hit a few times with a nail, is they didn't stay on the mountaintop. They came down. Jesus was moving towards his purpose. Jesus knew that coming down from the mountain was going towards Jerusalem which was going towards his death. You see if you can hear it he was on the mountain top he could have gone back to heaven. But he denied all those benefits that he would fulfill a greater cause and a greater call and a greater goal you see there's a verse in Hebrews which you know I just love the sound of it when it says looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him now you're thinking the joy what was the, he, he desired to go to the cross because the other side of the cross he knew was you and I It's powerful. Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, again, another picture, another wonderful picture of self-denial. And it's a beautiful example to us of how we need to live a life of continuous self-denial as believers. You see... John the Baptist said an interesting thing. He says, you know, he must increase and I must decrease. See, that's basic Christianity. It's a walk of him increasing in our life and us decreasing. And so this third movement, which is descending not for our glory, not so that we look good, descending for his glory. Our lives should be this testimony of his goodness in our lives. You see, descending for his glory is how the Lord desires to basically strip us of us. Getting rid of that Adamic nature. And replacing it with his nature. Tearing down those things which are not of him so that he can reconstruct, so that he can build those things which are of him, those things which are righteous. And so, as we look at this whole thing I just presented to you, it's like the the climbing up the mountain and the descending thing, they kind of like work hand in hand, they go together. You know, he wants to build us up, but he wants to strip away as well. And as he strips away, he wants to build up. And as he lets us look at ourselves in the mirror of his word, he doesn't want to just think, oh me, I'm so bad, I'm so terrible. He wants to encourage us to say, you know what, come. We're going on a journey. Let me build you up. And you, you may, some of you may be asking, well, when does all this stop? When does all this finish? All this tearing down and building up and mountaintop experience, when does it finish? Well, it finishes when you're like Jesus. <laughs> or it finishes when you go to be of the Lord. It goes on, it goes on day by day. In some people's lives, it's hour by hour. Some people's lives it's moment by moment you're just battling with yourself or battling with a circumstance battling with a situation and Jesus wants to give you that victory within it. So in closing we've reached that point. The three movements maybe I can close with asking three questions and again it's How are we climbing with the Lord and how are we being built up? You know, the message isn't just for you, it's for me too. You know, when we minister, we minister to ourselves first. How is the Lord building me up? How am I climbing with the Lord? Are there corrections I can make in my own life? Of course there are. Do I want to make the corrections? Well, that's another question, isn't it? You see, the next thing is, have we been encouraged and have we been strengthened by an intimate, intimate moment with the Lord? And if we have, are we camping there or are we moving on? Or the final question, which is, you know, are there areas in our lives we really need to deny ourselves? And allow ourselves to be transformed and to be conformed into his image and his likeness. You know, if we're all honest, we look at all three of those areas and we say, wow, that's hard work. But it's rough terrain. It's climbing a mountain. Or it's descending to death. Final verse or verses, Matthew 16, 24. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What can you give in exchange for your soul? And he goes on to say, for the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels. It's an assurity. It's a fact. It will happen. And then he will reward each according to his or her works. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love towards us, Lord, because if you were not good, if you were not gracious, if you did not love us, Lord, we would not have a hope. But because of your goodness, Lord, you give us Jesus. who's there to comfort us, to strengthen us, to journey with us, to never leave us nor forsake us. And Lord, we're so grateful, we're so thankful. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just demonstrate that gratitude, Lord, in the things which we say, but in how we conduct our lives before you, how we give ourselves to you, Lord how we reflect your life within us help us Lord to journey with you and to climb that mountain which you have presented before us Lord help us Lord to enjoy those intimate moments you give us Lord but help us not to camp there Lord and build shrines but help us Lord to put everything in its proper place Lord and knowing that Ultimately, Lord, we must deny ourselves that you must increase and we must decrease. And so, Lord Jesus, your people, have your way with them. Continue to have your sovereign way over their lives, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would just bless them. So for the rest of this day, Lord, let us have rejoicing in our hearts. Lord, help us to even have an extra spring in our step so that people could really look at us and say, yo, what's wrong with you? You're a peculiar person. And yeah, we could just say, yeah, the Lord has called me to be a peculiar person, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, so that we can sing forth your praises, Lord. And so, thank you again, Lord Jesus, because you're great, you're wonderful. And we pray in Jesus' name.